Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of May 25th through the 31st. Uh, this week, we're going to be exploring uh, some new planetary ingresses. Uh, Mercury will be moving into the sign of Cancer. Uh, we will be experiencing a first quarter moon. Uh, and we got a couple new decans this week, too. We're going to continue our exploration of some of the royal fixed stars as the sun makes a conjunction with Aldebaran this, this week. Um, so those are some of the topics we're going to be exploring. On Monday the 25th, just to summarize, Mars will be making a sextile to Uranus at 8 degrees of Pisces to 8 degrees of Taurus. On Wednesday the 28th, Mars is going to move into the second decan of Pisces. We'll discuss the Nine of Cups. Thursday, the 28th, Mercury is going to be moving into Cancer, and we'll talk about the Two of Cups. Friday, the 29th, is when we have our first quarter moon at nine degrees of Virgo and Gemini. And then on Saturday, the 30th, the sun will be moving into the second decan of Gemini, where we're going to talk about, again, the, the Nine of Swords. And we're going to talk about the fixed star Aldebaran, one of the four royal fixed stars, uh, one of the, the watchers um, that was associated with the, with the seasons and with the solstice and equinox points. So I will read again from this wonderful book that I've been kind of exploring, uh, Bernadette Brady's book of fixed stars, and uh, we'll, we'll get a little deeper into that. Um, again, this has been kind of a new topic that I've been exploring, so I, I'm getting um, doing some research and getting educated. I've had some really good comments from some, uh, some astrologer friends, and hopefully I, I think I'll be pursuing bringing a special guest on to talk about um, fixed stars as I move forward into the future here, putting together something that's not quite, quite all uh, scheduled out yet. So I'll wait, wait to reveal that, but that is something that hopefully is in the works. Um, okay, so let's take a look at our chart here. All right, everybody having a good, a good week so far? Doing a good full um, new moon, new moon activities. I'm recording this on Friday, the 22nd, right as the moon has become new. Um, yeah, interesting new moon so far. A little bit of Mercury conjoining Venus retrograde squared. Neptune energy, so some, some interesting communications and some foggy, foggy stuff happening. Um, but you know, I'm sure it will. We'll, we'll find clarity as we move forward. Um, hope that you are all uh, able to navigate through your new divine assignment um, with grace. Uh, yeah. So let's take a look at where the planets are this week. Um, for those of you who are who are asking, I did, found an easy way to put timestamps on my videos, um, and those you can find in the description uh, on the YouTube video. Makes it really easy to kind of go day by day if if that is how you want to consume this content. And I will continue to do that because all you really need to do is type in uh, a few numbers, and it'll automatically create a link. So very very easy to do and and convenient for everyone. And and I agree that. That is an upgrade on, on the experience here. Okay, so let's talk about our essential dignities. So the sun this week is moving from four degrees of Gemini 
into 11 degrees Gemini, where it is going through the first and second decan of Gemini. It is peregrine in both of those uh, particular positions. It'll be moving from the terms of Mercury from zero to six degrees into the terms of Jupiter from six to 12 degrees. Now, one of the things that we're gonna be discussing towards the end of the week is the sun's conjunction with the fixed star Aldebaran, which is around this period of time is uh, at about 10 degrees of Gemini uh, on the zodiac. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about as we explore fixed stars is that there's a couple of different ways of thinking about them. And one is with a conjunction and the other is uh, a relationship called parans. And I, I had a really good uh, talk with a few different astrologers and I got a really nice comment on my, on my last video from an astrologer that I'm friends with, uh, Cassidy Juniper from Midnight Moon Astrology. And she had a nice uh, little summary of it. I'm going to read that right now because I think that's actually really interesting. Um, so I was asking her about Parans and it's something that she's exploring as well. Uh, she says, uh, let's see what she says here. She says, agreed, these are so different from some of the other astro techniques that we use. I guess what I got out of it, and then she's talking about Bernadette Brady's book, is that in a birth chart, if a planet is on any angle at the same time that a star is on any of the four angles, they are in Paran relationship, and the star defines the native's life in some way. Whichever angle the star is on determines whether it will happen earlier or later in life, i.e. on the rising, when it is rising earlier in life, culminating at the midheaven, uh, in the midlife, and then when it's setting later in life. Whatever planet is in Paran will determine what areas of life this star affects. It's particularly strange that they use the whole day and not just the moment of birth. Easier to use the fixed stars in transit since we are mostly just noticing a planet in conjunction with one of them. Okay, so that's a really nice, succinct uh, explanation that I thought was worthy of repeating here in the video. So what we're going to explore this week is Aldebaran being conjoined with the sun by zodiacal degree. Now the, that Paran's relationship means that, you know, a planet can be at many different degrees and still have a relationship with a fixed star. And like I said, I'm going to bring a, a hopefully be able to bring a special guest on that will be able to demonstrate that very well. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on with the sun in Gemini this week. And like I said, we'll, we'll discuss it a lot more as we get to Saturday when there's, uh, when that conjunction is actually going to be happening. The basic gist of it though, is Aldebaran is associated with, um, integrity and each of the four Royal fixed stars has a, um, a test that you need to pass. I guess that was part of the star lore. And uh, so in particular, it'll, this will be a test of our integrity and whether we're able to um, stick to our, our moral guidelines uh, to, to move forward with our lives. So that's something to pay attention to with the, the sun in this position. Um, and, and, and before we were talking about the sun in Gemini, where we are trying to ask questions uh, about what we believe in, about and, and the sun being a Mercury in in a Mercury ruled sign, we are bringing some curiosity and potentially some destabilization to the to the way that we find identity. 
and, and vitality, the sun being associated with, with both of those and illumination. So this is definitely a sun where we're going to be asking a lot of questions, where we are exploring a lot of different options, and potentially some of those options may be uh, asking us questions of moral integrity. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things that I uh, have been hearing about the sign of Gemini, and I'm not exactly sure where I read this or who I was discussing this with, but somebody, and somewhere along the line, it was the topic of the journey of, of the sign of Gemini, where instead of just exploring all these options, we're exploring the options so we, that we can eventually make a choice. Um, so it's not just the scattering in all these different directions. It's like, how are we choosing which direction we're going to go in our life through having the curiosity and the receptivity and the flexibility to explore uh, the, the costs and benefits and the drawbacks of certain directions in our life? And I thought that was really um, a great way of thinking about Gemini, because if you think about Gemini, Gemini is, is an ascending, it's a sign that is where the light is still ascending, where the sun is ascending uh, to the solstice point. And this is one thing I learned from my teacher, Ashut Jabhava, that I thought was really amazing insight when he was talking about the signs in our nightlight astrology class, was that don't mistake uh, Gemini for not being ambitious, because this is, a, this is a sign where we're still moving towards that summer solstice. But once we get to that solstice, the, uh, the light starts to diminish. Once we get to the sign of cancer, that's the peak of the, uh, the, peak of the solar year, basically. And then the darkness starts to, to come in again. Like it's the point where the day is the longest. So there is this quality with Gemini of, of being very ambitious and trying to ascend, ascend, ascend. But then when we get to where we're going, reversing course, <laughs> like deciding that, you know, changing our minds. And, and I think that that's a, really, that's a really interesting way of thinking about any planet that is moving through that domicile. And of course, Mercury has that quality of contesting and destabilizing and, and kind of, uh, you know, it's the the final sign of spring where we're, where we're shaking up spring and getting ready for summer. So any of those cadent signs or those double-bodied signs do have this quality of like potentially dissolving into the next season where we're trying to balance out the two qualities of the season that came before and the season that will come after. So that's my long-winded explanation of what the sun is doing uh, this week. Saturn is going to be still in its retrograde motion in the sign of Aquarius, where it is in its own domicile, it has triplicity, dignity by the day. Uh, Saturn is the triplicity ruler of the air signs by day. It's moving through the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees this week. And, you know, Saturn is kind of, it's still moving pretty slow, but it's going to be moving and backing up its, um, you know, its, its, uh, its darkness back into the sign of Capricorn. Uh, over the summer. So we're, we're getting ready to have a little bit of a shift in that energy eventually as well. Um, the sun will be making, it's still making, it's overcoming trine to the sun right now. So there is a relationship between Saturn and the sun this week as well, where we, you know, we might be trying to manifest and explore all these different options and, and have communications, but there's some kind of limiting factor still that uh, 
is part of the equation and part of the conversation. Um, we may also be lacking uh, some of our um, commitment to some of the boundaries that we are being asked to have in place as well. And we're seeing this with a lot of different um, municipalities starting to open up and potentially people seeing that the weather's getting nice and wanting to rejoin society and, and things of that nature. Um, despite some other opinions where the the numbers or the warnings from health professionals say that it might not be safe to do so. So we're seeing that play out in the collective as well. Uh, Jupiter will be moving through the, the final degrees still of Capricorn. It's, it is in retrograde motion still. It is in its fall and it is coming uh, closer to a, another conjunction with the planet Pluto. You can see that here on my screen as well. Jupiter now is within a three-degree um, adherence with Pluto. So we're seeing some of the same themes that we saw with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction uh, getting stronger and stronger as we move towards the end of June. I believe that, that that conjunction happens on the 25th of June, somewhere around the end of that month. So we're going to be seeing uh, some of the themes coming up with an, an expansion of some of the corrupt elements that we experienced the first time that this happened earlier in the spring. So still a very difficult Jupiter uh, at the bottom of the wheel of fortune or at the bottom of the well in its depression. Uh, difficult for us to, to reach um, or transcend to our higher selves to find some of the unifying and confirming and stabilizing elements that Jupiter is known for. Uh, Jupiter will be moving still through the terms of Mars this week as well from 26 to 30 degrees. So this is a, still a very difficult Jupiter. We could still see uh, public figures that are related to Jupiterian significations, like uh, anybody who is a teacher or a guru or somebody who has power uh, coming in contact with this very volcanic energy, uh, this, this type of plutonic energy that is bringing things up from the depths that need to be dealt with. And I, I, I will admit I haven't been paying a ton of attention to, you know, the, the news over the past week. I've been kind of grinding it out with doing a lot of research lately. Um, but I do, I do remember that our President Trump was, uh, did visit the city that I lived in apparently yesterday, Ypsilanti, Michigan, where he toured the, um, one of the Ford plants. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that went. But uh, yeah, it's, so you may see some of these themes playing out in the collective again, where we're seeing um, some difficult uh, leadership questions where we're, you know, remember that third decan of Capricorn was associated with the throne and with power. And when we have a retrograde planet, that may be, uh, we may be some, seeing some of the, the darker sides of that playing out, especially with the conjunction with Pluto. Okay. Mars this week is moving through the first and second decan of Pisces, um, where it is in the domicile of that of that fallen Jupiter. So Mars isn't, isn't really being provided for by a planet that is in very good shape. So that's something that we have to keep an awareness of. Uh, Mars does have triplicity dignity in the nighttime. Uh, Mars, of course, being the um, triplicity ruler, the nocturnal triplicity ruler of the water signs. Uh, it is in the terms of Venus from 0 to 12 degrees and then moving into the terms of Jupiter from 12 to 16 degrees. So a number of planets in the terms of Jupiter this week and the terms of Mars. Uh, Mercury and Jupiter being in the terms of Mars. Um, 
we'll we'll do a little bit of a deeper dive into the second decade of uh, Pisces with Mars being there. Generally, what you need to know about Mars is that its essential nature is to cut, to sever, to express uh, anger, uh, to express potentially um, accelerating. Uh, it has an accelerating and a heating quality as well. And this Mars is going to be one that is a little bit indirect, um, that is uh, fighting for beliefs. Potentially, there is internal struggles where we are trying to uh, let go of old beliefs that aren't serving us or potentially old negative material beliefs as well since Jupiter is in an, an Earth sign. And uh, we may be basing a lot of our belief structures based on material decisions rather than spiritual decisions. And that, that may be where we can lead to some conflicts. Okay, Venus is still moving retrograde and is, a, is another player in the game this week. She is making a conjunction right now as I speak to Mercury and Gemini, uh, who is her host. And that whole combination is squaring Neptune right now at about 20 degrees of Gemini and Pisces. Uh, Gemini, Gemini Venus will be on its own terms uh, from 12 to 17 degrees. Uh, but before that, she will be on the terms of Mars from 17 to 24 degrees. So again, retrograde Venus is still causing some challenges in our relationships, causing us to reevaluate and, and go over things that we may have already experienced within our relationships, within what we desire, what we value. Um, we may be, again, this may be something that, uh, that you may be experiencing where you may have thought that you were getting something good and that thing may be taken back. Uh, I, I'll share a little brief little story on that um, and be as diplomatic as I can about it. But I, um, there was a, an online gathering that I was planning on being a part of and I missed a deadline for signing up and ended up not being able to to, to sign up for it. And, and it was definitely my own fault. I didn't read the, the fine print and uh, ended up missing and probably going to be ending up missing out on, on that experience in real time, which led to a lot of disappointment. And I think that was some of the manifestation of Mercury and Venus um, squaring Neptune. <laughs> if you, and it was really doing a number on my own chart. I had the Venus-Mercury uh, conjunction at 20 degrees in opposition with my natal uh, Neptune and then squaring, um, transiting Neptune in the sky, all making a giant T-square with Saturn. <laughs> I had Saturn at 21 degrees Virgo. So uh, really, you know, a lot of frustration and over confusion and things like that. Um, but again, it's an opportunity. Whenever we have experiences like that, and this uh, in the moment, maybe there's some, you know, tempers may flare. And I'm, I'm sharing this so that if you have had some experience like this at this new moon or at this, um, this square, that hopefully, and this is something that, that, that I've been working through most of the day, is how can you deal with the disappointment? A lot of times with retrograde plant, planets too, um, remember I said last week that when benefics are going ret retrograde, according to some ancient authors, there is something that is either, something good that is given or expected, and then that thing is t taken away. Uh, whereas malefics may take something that you already possess. Um, so 
with this Venus retrograde, and this was happening in my 11th house of groups, I had an expectation of having a, 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 Venusian, a Venusian experience with a group of people that I shared um, a common belief system with. And then that was uh, taken away through what, either through my own uh, neglect of details, uh, Neptune, and, or, or just, you know, it being running into some of the more hierarchical, um, I don't know, some of the systems that were put in place, also probably for good reason. So I think that what you can do is how do you deal with your disappointment? Do, can you be graceful about it? Uh, is there something where you, you know, may, may have made an assumption that now is being uh, reevaluated. Uh, retrograde planets I've described as this way too, piggybacking off of my, my work with nightlight astrology, is that uh, as they are moving in the diurnal motion, okay, they are working within the divine motion, uh, the motion of this, the sun, whereas the the planets move in zodiacal motion, which was associated more of the realm of fortune and related to the moon where things come into being and pass out of being. Now, here's an interesting little aside. Uh, I, I'll be, uh, I got offered an opportunity to appear on a different um, platform to talk about the new moon today. It'll probably already be over by the time I post this, but maybe you'll be able to see some sort of replay of that. Uh, that would have potentially interfered with the uh, the other thing that I wanted to do. So it's in, isn't that interesting? So it's like one thing was potentially taken away, but it it's almost like it's uh, you're being, you know, uh, re the course that you are being that you thought you were on is like the the divine is giving you that course correction and leading you on a different path, and. The reaction, instead of being upset and, and getting lost in the disappointment, is to be like, oh, maybe this is the, the cosmos, you know, redirecting towards a path that might uh, potentially bear a different type of fruit. So, uh, and for that, I'm grateful. <laughs> so I, I've gone through all the different stages today, I think, and, and that's, I think that's where I've landed on. So I hope that um, that is useful for you if you've gone through anything similar. And I, I encourage you to look to the area of your chart that Venus is retrograding in um, if you're having any confusion with that area and the Pisces area of your chart um, because Neptune is, is making a, a, a really strong um, square with those two planets as we speak. Um, and, and if you're listening to this uh, in the future, Maybe it'll help you reflect on that event as we as we move forward, because Venus is going to move backwards, and then it's going to square that point again as it moves in direct motion. So we'll have to revisit it. Uh, okay, so that's what's going on with Venus. Mercury is in its own domicile this week in the moving through the uh, third decan of Gemini, uh, where it has domicile dignity triplicity dignity by the nighttime, and then moving through the terms of Saturn from 24 to 30 degrees. Now, it will be moving into the sign of Cancer on Thursday, where it is peregrine, or where it does not have essential dignity, 
and is in the terms of Mars from zero to seven degrees. Now there is one small dignity that Mercury has in the second face or the second decan, I believe is the Mer Mars will be, I'm sorry, Mercury will be the decanic ruler of that particular sign. But this week we're not gonna reach that point. So it is still sort of in its wandering phase. The moon this week is waxing uh, from the new moon that we are experiencing here on Friday the, the 22nd to the first quarter phase uh, that we will be experiencing on the 29th. First quarter being a square between the moon and the sun and sort of a, a material crisis point where we're trying to bring something into being. And what are we trying to bring into being in this particular new moon phase? Well, we've got a lot of uh, ideas, a lot of intellectual options that we may be reviewing that may be connected with something that we're going over from the past. It's it, the first aspect that the moon makes after this new moon is a conjunction with retrograde Venus. So there may definitely have to be some sort of narrative about reevaluating what we desire and how we, um, how we use our receptive natures uh, within our relationships. So remember, Venus functions at its highest when it is allowing things to come to her since she was the phosphorescent, you know, jellyfish type of uh, goddess that emerged from the ocean glowing. And, when she, and she glowed so brightly from her inner essence that little cherubs would adorn her with, um, with jewelry and fine clothes and things like that. She didn't have to announce her presence or anything like that. She just had to glow with her inner, inner beauty. So that is a great way to think of Venus. Uh, when we tend to pursue things, uh, that's when we can sometimes get into trouble. Pursuit is more the, uh, I would say, probably the, more of the action of Mars rather than the action of Venus. All right. Uh, the dignities for the moon, when she is in Cancer, she will have dignity by domicile. And in the third face, she will have decanic rulership. The moon will be peregrine uh, in the sign of Leo. It will have triplicity rulership by the nighttime in Virgo, and then will have face or decanic rulership in the first face of Libra. All right, so that's our essential dignities for the week. Let's move on to our dailies. Now we will discuss Monday, May 25th. And I've been announcing these things very clearly so that when I look at this in the future, I will be, <laughs> be able to uh, find the, the timestamps for you. Okay, so now we are on Monday. And Monday starts out, I'm going to put the sun on the horizon here. Monday starts out with the moon in Cancer. In the new moon phase, uh, the moon is uh, separated from under the bond. Uh, one of the things that I, I did... Um, neglect to talk about in the forecast last week was that on Sunday afternoon, the 24th, retrograde Venus will be moving under the beams of the sun or within that 15 degree range. And you can see this here that we're going to start off our week with Venus within 15 degrees of the sun. She's moving retrograde and moving into a Kazemi moment eventually with the sun. Uh, and if we looked forward in our chart, I'm not exactly sure what the um, what the date is on that, but let's look. Let's look and see when that's going to happen exactly. Okay. So 
Mercury, I'm sorry, Venus, Venus is going to Kazemi on Thursday, June 4th. So this, that is going to be the point in time when uh, Venus starts, we start a whole new Venus cycle or Venus, it's called a synodic cycle. Synodic cycles are a planet's relationship with the sun. So Venus right now is moving into the heart of the sun and it's like a, they compared, the ancient authors compared that to a planet taking to its sickbed. And when, then when it goes into the furnace of the sun, it gets a new burst of vitality because remember the, the stars were giving the planets vitality. Uh, we see this with the, with the fixed stars too. With, when a planet is conjoining a fixed star, it's like it's drawing like a root system from that particular fixed star and, and manifesting some of its significations. I believe last week we had Mars on the, one of the royal fixed stars of Fomalhaut, and, and this week we have our own sun drawing energy from the fixed star of Aldebaran. The ancients did consider the, the sphere of the fixed stars to be uh, higher or outside of the, uh, of the spheres of the planets. So almost like they were a little bit more eternal and more, more divine. There was divinity associated with those fixed stars. Brady's book is really great. I I'm, I'm really highly recommend it. I have another one of her books coming in the mail this week on the relationship between fixed stars and planets and a book that I would uh, highly recommend. Um, or I hope that I will highly recommend it. Uh, it's called Hamlet's Mill. Uh, it's a book that she is recommending or that she is referencing a lot that talks about um, the relationship of mythology and the movement of the stars within the sky and how we were, you know, ancient civilizations may have been, you know, basing a lot of their collective cultural stories on the movement of the, of the stars around the the pole star, and the desire to come to the center, okay? They thought everything was moving around that center. And uh, I'm really looking forward to reading this book. A, a few people I've talked to are really, really into it, and it seems like there's some really great things for astrologers in particular in understanding how we may have, um, how ancient people may have assigned meaning to the planets within the cosmos. And, and two human lives. So those are coming. We'll, we'll ha like I said, I'm, I'm trying to arrange to have some guests talk about these concepts as well. Um, that may be a new feature of the channel. Also trying to bring on more astrologers. That's a, a, a great uh, Gemini type of thing with the, the twins and like reaching out and having some new voices to share. Um, so Monday, the 25th, uh, we're going to be seeing Venus moving into this relationship with the sun. Uh, this could mean that, that Venus is a little bit weaker, that it's a little bit more difficult for us to create consensus and harmony and unification with people in our lives. Um, Mercury is really strong right now, so we may be asking a lot of questions in our relationships. Mercury is lending a destabilizing quality to, to that planet and to both of those planets, the sun and Venus. I had a really great conversation with my astrology teacher about Mercury in general. Uh, yeah, and Chutabhava is really, really wise, wise person that I would highly recommend all of you following and, and checking out if you haven't already. Um, and he was talking about the, uh, the seasons that Mercury is in charge of, the, that Gemini season and that Virgo season has a destabilization quality because we're, we're kind of, moving away from the 
the dominance of the light and moving towards a shift from light to dark. And then when we have Virgo season, we have uh, another kind of moving away from the dominance of the light and getting ready for the shift to the, the nighttime being the dominant energy, uh, being longer than the days, which happens at the fall, uh, the fall equinox in, in Libra season. So they're transitionary. So they're shaking things up. They're destabilizing things. They're getting us ready for change. So that's really what is hosting both uh, the sun and Venus right now and getting us ready for some kind of shift. It, maybe it's a shift in our identity with the sun. Maybe it's a shift in our relationship with, with Venus. So this is a time to be patient with all of those uh, planets that, um, that are representing different things in your life. Potentially, they're hosting different areas of your life. Um, you could look to the sign of Virgo to find out some clues as to where there might be some connections with that. You can look to the signs of Libra and uh, Taurus to figure out where uh, you may be having some challenges creating harmony in addition to the planet playing out its narrative in the sign of Gemini itself. And the sun is going to be providing for the sign of Leo in your chart. So all of those are, are coming together to give us a, a unique story and picture. I, like, I love thinking of the natal or the, the chart, the transit chart or your natal chart as a, as a, as a narrative. Um, and I think that is a great way to look at your chart. Um, we're all living out these collective stories. We have, I do think we have a little bit of choose your own adventure quality to it. But I think we're working within uh, that novel that has only certain possibilities. So I think a choose-your-own-adventure is a great way to think about the chart because, yes, you may be able to slightly alter the outcome, but you only have a certain set of outcomes, and those are already predetermined. So I, I think that there's a, definitely a balance between those, those fate and free will type of questions leaning more towards much of this is written. And that's where I'm at at this point. I reserve the right to change my mind later <laughs> in, true, in true mercurial style. Okay, so let's get to some of the aspects of the day. The moon will be making a sextile to uh, Uranus at 10.33 a.m. from eight degrees of Cancer to eight degrees of Taurus. The moon will be trining Mars at eight degrees of Pisces at around 11 a.m. And then the big aspect of the day that is non-lunar is Mars will be making a sextile to Uranus at about 2.48 a.m. Um, this is happening before those lunar aspects at eight degrees of Pisces and Taurus. And I've been exploring these in relationship to their synodic cycle. So you can see here, and I'm going to draw on my screen here. You can see here that there is a sextile relationship those sextiles were of the nature of Venus, so it's a, sort of a harmony, a harmonizing relationship. Um, and this is the last quarter slash balsamic moon or slash balsamic phase of the Mars Uranus cycle that was initiated in February of 2019. So I want you to look back at around February 13th of 2019 and see if there was something that was initiated around, and this, this, this conjunction happened at 29 degrees of Aries. So look at the Aries 
area of your chart and see if there was something shocking or something that was very interesting going on um, that is now coming to a close that may need where you may need to integrate the lessons of that particular initiatory cycle. I know in my own in my own life I was uh, doing a lot of I have uh, Aries in the ninth house. I was doing a lot of study with um, new astrology uh, classes and books and things like that. I had uh, an event around this period of time where my um, uh, my mom had a uh, had a stroke, and that was very Mars Uranus. Um, strokes were are definitely associated with that that combination or unexpected kind of like health events. So I had to deal with the fallout of of that medical event. Um, she's okay. She she uh, survived it, um, but has had a big change in her life and trying to recover from losing a lot of her own, uh, you know, functioning um, and trying to rebuild that over time. So I'm sure that, you know, she's going through a phase right now of like coming to a completion of that energy where she's, you know, starting to regain a lot of her mobility and, and mental and executive functionings. So uh, take a look back at that time because that was a really, it was a really volatile time. And I'm sure that a lot of you had some pretty important events that started. Now, the next time that Mars conjoins Uranus is going to be at six degrees of Taurus at, uh, on the 20th of January, 2021. Now, I think this is very interesting because does that date sound familiar, January 20th? That is the inauguration day of uh, the United States. So whenever we elect a new president in the United States, uh, the transfer of power takes place a few months after the election itself, generally on the 20th of January um, after the election. So that will be the beginning of some new Mars-Uranus cycle uh, that will have a, a, a Taurian flavor to it, um, which could be definitely associated with how we're dealing with material resources and, and how we're creating harmony in that area of our life. So yeah, uh, some very interesting astrology coming up in the next year ahead. Now, with this particular relationship, Mars is in the superior position to Uranus. So there may be, anytime we have a Mars-Uranus uh, combination, we may have some unexpected event, Uranus, uh, that is accelerated, that causes some kind of severance or separation. Um, we may see ourselves taking impulsive or rash actions. Uh, Mars is going to be hosted by a fallen Jupiter at this point too. So the actions that we take may be based on uh, a search for power or material security, where when Jupiter is functioning at its best, it is bringing us in, in combination or in contact with uh, our higher selves or our transcendent selves. So be, be aware of that. Some of the actions we might be taking may be materially motivated at this point. Um, and Uranus is being hosted by retrograde Venus right now that is under the beams of the sun, trying to, it, at its, at, almost at its weakest. So this combination may have some, some difficulties right now, even though it is a sextile, because both of those planets are being hosted by planets that are in very difficult positions. They're both retrograde. They are both in uh, positions of, of weakness, um, 
being in a sign of its fall and then being under the beams. So this is something, and I, I wrote down in my notes that we may be trying to take idealistic actions uh, that create unexpected material changes. Um, we have unexpected severances and relationships um, over our belief systems. A lot of you may be having a lot of deep, deep conversations with your, all of the different types of partners that you have in your life and figuring out that you may not necessarily share a similar belief system, and that may be causing conflict. I will also warn you, if you are getting to know somebody for the first time, doing it under the guise of Venus retrograde is generally, it's, it, generally it is not the best time to start a relationship because that person may not be um, what they appear to be. And that may be doubly true since we have a square from Venus to Neptune right now as well. So be very, very careful if you are beginning any type of new relationship uh, that what you may see right now may be, uh, have a filter over it. And, and you may have the kind of this kind of um, rude awakening when Venus goes direct. So a friendly reminder uh, for that. Okay, so that's, that, I think that's a good uh, exploration of what we've got going on here. Remember, Mars in that first decan of Pisces is about leaving behind uh, material security, which is, is interesting since, since Jupiter is in that materially-based sign. And in search, it's a search for meaning. So we may be really having a search for meaning that really shakes up our material circumstances right now. Okay, let's move forward. Okay, so if we look at Tuesday the 26th of May. It's gonna be May. Uh, <laughs> there's that Justin Timberlake meme that, is, that goes around around the end of April that is very funny. In his like ramen, ramen noodle hair phase from NSYNC. Um, <laughs> like, so. On Tuesday, the 26th, the moon will be in the sign of Cancer. Uh, moving from that new moon phase into the crescent phase where we're trying to mobilize our resources to enact some of the uh, new divine assignments that we get at the new moon and, and trying to bring the new impulses into manifestation. Remember, the moon cycles are kind of about, we get this kind of um, this, this signal from the universe and then we're, the moon is, is throughout the lunar cycle trying to bring something into being at the full moon and then distributing it out into the world and then eventually that is is uh decaying and then being incorporated into our oh i don't know if you want to think about it as a lesson um, so that we can have a new cycle at the next new moon so on tuesday the 26th the moon is going to be making a trine to neptune at 9 42 a.m at 20 degrees of cancer and pisces it will then make an opposition to both retrograde Pluto and retrograde Jupiter at 5 o'clock p.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. respectively. So you can see that here, that the moon is going to be making that trine first. So we may be coming in contact with some idealistic thinking uh, or some emotional type of experiences. Um, my experience of Neptune has been uh, overwhelmingly negative lately. <laughs> like I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think a lot of times astrologers are, are going to think of Neptune as being this transcendent spiritual planet. And I will say that there probably is some possibility. I guess if I'm being balanced about it, I had an, a balsamic moon experience last night where I was 
reminiscing about uh, some music that I liked. Uh, there's a song that, I don't know, that I've always felt very emotional when I've listened to it. Um, it's, it's called, uh, it's, it's a song by Queensryche from 1991 called Silent Lucidity. Really like, kind of like a, that band was like kind of a, almost like a hair metal band. I don't know if I could call them hair metal, but they were, they're a metal band. And it was one of, it was kind of their power ballad. But I thought it was a very, it's just a very powerful emotional song. It's, it's got uh, a lot of dreamlike qualities to it. Um, it's, it's very well arranged. Um, and it talks a lot about the transitions between life and death and about, um, I don't know, there's this protective quality about that song that I, I, I really gravitate to as a cancer. It's kind of like an emotional cancer tune. I, I posted a link about it on my Facebook page. And I, I sat and I listened to that in the dark, <laughs> for like on repeat for a while, just thinking about um, letting go as I've transitioned from being a professional musician to doing astrology more full-time because getting a lot more astrology uh, opportunities and leaving a lot of my music life behind and just mourning that a little bit. Not that I'll cease to be a musician, but I think that I'm you know, starting to pursue this path a little bit more intensely. And yeah, I think that that was a very um, Venus squared Neptune experience as well. In addition to some of the confusion that I experienced today, um, trying to be part of a, a, a group experience where I was experienced this, I had this big grand cross in my, in my chart. Um, so I, th I do think Neptune, if I'm being fair, can be both. It can be that very transcendent, spiritual heart-based experience. It can also be the confusing experience that um, is more of that nature of Saturn, where you are feeling a limitation, where you're dissolving something, uh, where you think things are one way, but they are actually a different way, where uh, I think this Neptune can definitely be also a planet of assumptions. Uh, whereas Mercury asks questions, I would say that, that uh, Neptune can definitely assume some things, much, much like Jupiter. We, we, we tend to give uh, a lot of modern significations of Jupiter uh, are to Neptune. Um, and this is true even with the, the thought process that Neptune rules the, the sign of Pisces in modern astrology, which, again, I, being a traditional astrologer, I've since abandoned that concept and, and tried to, to recreate or re-evaluate how I think of the relationships and the hosts of the signs. And I definitely can see a lot of the significations of Jupiter in Pisces. So what are we going to experience when we see the opposition between the moon and Pluto and Jupiter? Um, well, we've just had a contact with this planet of illusion and this planet of dissolving, this planet of maybe feeling a limit as well. And then we have an opposition with these planets that are moving through a very earthy sign, both of them retrograde. So we may be evaluating, reevaluating something that we've already experienced. Remember, oppositions were of the nature of Saturn. There may be some kind of boundary that we're running headlong against, and that is an, a no that we're experiencing in our life. Now, um, oppositions being of the nature of Saturn, we are potentially getting a 
a contraction energy. Uh, anytime we have a no, there's a contraction that may necessitate some kind of letting go. It could also necessitate some kind of um, rebalancing. Okay, we think about oppositions as trying to bring something into balance as well. And I think that fits with the signification of, of Saturn being the quality of nemesis. And nemesis was the, the uh, believe, one of the deities that was asso associated with uh, punitive justice, where we are trying to, um, where we may be experiencing something that feels like a punishment, but if we look at it in a different way, what nemesis what Nemesis's job was, and this is something that I, I really like from, that I've gleaned from Austin Kopic's book, 36 Faces, is in his chapter on Libra, he talks about Nemesis and Tuque, and Nemesis being some of the, the fate that we're experiencing um, that is more consistent, all right, rather than, than Tuque being more random. And Saturn and Mars are in opposition in their planetary joy schemes in the 12th and the 6th house. And we can think of that potentially as nemesis, Saturn, trying to bring some kind of stability through uh, contraction, through some of the more random negative events of fate, which is represented by Mars and 2K and the 6th house. So... Anytime I see Saturn and any type of house associated with Saturn or any type of aspect associated with Saturn at this point, I'm always like, okay, that is the opportunity for redemption. I really like the, the word redemption. Um, you can think of the Shawshank redemption uh, if you want to need a movie reference. So you think about what is that movie about? It's about prison. It's about going into uh, confinement. It's about being in a place of limitation and eventually finding liberation after doing one's time. And that may be one of the great gifts of Saturn eventually is if we, if we, do, the, if we do the hard work, if we do the acceptance of our fate and, and bring things into balance again, that may be some of the, uh, oh, that may be the planet that is actually helping us to get to true liberation. Um, which eventually at the end of that movie, we saw uh, a circumstance like that. Now, yeah, and you can, you can argue with me as to whether, you know, uh, he, he followed the rules or not, but it seems that throughout the story, no, no spoilers, I guess. I mean, who hasn't seen this movie by now? But um, eventually he is proven to be innocent and has still done his you know, 20 plus years in prison and then decides that it's time for him to go and, and is uh, not let out, but breaks his way out. Um, so I think that in that story, he had, he had done his time, even though that, that was, you know, not a crime he had committed. So anyway, we may be seeing some kind of rebalancing that happens between our domestic situation and our relationship with society, which I think we can glean some meaning from Cancer Moon being more about our domestic situations and these two planets, uh, Jupiter and Pluto moving backwards through the sign of Capricorn, which we sometimes traditionally associated with being more about our relationship with society. 
or with boundaries and limits. So, you know, be gentle, uh, recognize that there may be something that's out of whack and try to do the hard work necessary to bring them back into alignment. And that may be your Saturnian redemption. All right, let's move forward to Wednesday, the 27th. On Wednesday, the 27th, okay, we have the moon moving into Leo at 2.33 a.m., still moving within its crescent phase. Um, the big aspect of the day, uh, well, there's a few lunar ones. We are seeing at the beginning of the day an opposition, again, an opportunity for Saturnian redemption between the moon and Leo and a retrograde Saturn. So if we think about the difference between Aquarius and Capricorn, one is a nocturnal sign and one is a, a diurnal sign. So we may be experiencing more of a collective um, examination of rules, limits, and boundaries when we are dealing with a planet in Aquarius versus potentially thinking about the types of structures, limits, and rules that we may hold ourselves to on a personal level with planets in Capricorn. I think that that may be one of the distinctions. I don't think it's as simple as that, but I think that could be one of the ways that this manifests. We may be really thinking about our our roles within our family and how we you know, our own personal responsibility when we have that opposition between the, the moon with the, the Cancer planet and the Cap Capricorn planets. And then when we see this happening with Leo and Aquarius planets, um, this may be our, uh, you know, a challenge with our personal responsibility and our personal sense of identity within the collective. And there may be some frustration over that. I think that anytime I've seen uh, Leo Aquarius stuff going on lately, there's always a uh, kind of a my freedoms versus the collective's um, limitations kind of dramas playing out. So that may be something that we may be experiencing uh, very early into the hours of, of Wednesday, the 27th. Um, the moon's going to be making a sextile to the sun at six degrees at about 3.02 p.m. and then making a square to Uranus at eight degrees of Taurus at 5.30 p.m. So a nice aspect with the sun, albeit a, a slightly weaker one than the trine, uh, and then a, a, maybe a potentially a challenging aspect with Uranus at the end of the day. So I would say that uh, when the moon's moving through Leo, its host is the sun. So we may be trying to craft some identity through a lot of different options. Uh, we may be feeling limited by the proliferation of options that we have and our confusion over it. Remember that first decan of Gemini is associated with that eight of swords quality where we're blindfolded and bound. And that is we have an awareness of duality in that decan. So we may be trying to bring something into being and craft some personal identity, uh, but through some a profusion of elements trying to take form that are not necessarily trying to bring cohesion, but actually are trying to create destabilization. So be gentle <laughs> again. The other thing that's happening on Wednesday, the 27th, is if I move my chart forward a little bit, 
Mars will be moving into the second decan of Pisces. Okay. Around seven in the, in the evening. So you can see right about here. So now we have Mars in Pisces two. Uh, this is the Jupiter ruled face. So we have a Jupiter ruled sign. And then we have a 10 degree section of the sign that is also ruled by Jupiter. And the, the faces of the sign change. So they have an appearance of working as a different planet. Um, but in this case, we have a very pure expression of Jupiter in the second decan of Pisces. Now, that could lead to, generally, that is, this is a fairly fortunate area, I would say, of the zodiac um, being dually Jupiter ruled. Um, now, there's a caveat with this, though. One of the stories that Austin Kopic talks about in his book is the uh, parable of Prometheus and Dolus. Prometheus was a teacher and Dolus the student. Prometheus was crafting a human being out of clay, and Dolus, his student, was, was trying to copy him, like kind of like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, when you see uh, like Mickey Mouse in that that old cartoon where he's put donning the magician's the magician's hat and, and while the uh the master has gone off on a break and eventually chaos uh ensues and the lesson though being that um sometimes it's very difficult to uh manifest divine ideals in the physical world austin talks about the uh prometheus uh, version being associated with truth and the dolus version being associated with falsehood and that prometheus took pity on this student and was flattered that that it would uh it was trying to craft something uh i don't know in its honor or like um i guess the story goes and sorry if i back up for a second dolus ran out of clay and wasn't able to uh craft the human being with feet and prometheus brought both figures to life the the true form right the one that was complete and the one that didn't have feet it's interesting that that story is associated with pisces which has traditionally been associated with the feet um and brought both of them to to life one being truth and the other being falsehood so i think that one of the things that we talk about with this decan and it's associated with the the nine of cups in it, you see a figure that is kind of sitting on a, a chair with some cups behind him, looking kind of smug, looking satisfied. This this card was called happiness. Austin Coppock calls this deck in the net. And I think that what my main takeaway from his chapter was that this deck in has some associations with not just bringing something into being, but dealing with trying to balance uh, the purity versus the imperfection of what we are trying to manifest. And we may be willing to go to war over that concept when we have Mars in that particular decan. Now, what does Mars represent? It's how we fight, how we create severance. It brings acceleration. It brings expressions of anger. We may be experiencing conflicts in our life over trying to bring our vision into form, but it being 
in a position of imperfection. They're, they're, they can't possibly be manifested in the divine perfection of the master in this material world right now. And that may be some of the, the realities that we have to face is that we may have this idealized version of how we want things to go right now. But it, it can, and we may be willing to go to battle over it, but it, there will always have to be some kind of compromise. We're, we're going to, just living within this material world, we, we cannot possibly manifest that divine perfection. And that is the war that I see happening and that I glean from that chapter in that book. I, I wanted to, I want to go back to a way of thinking about the three decans of a sign. And you can see this in the tarot. You have a, uh, a story within each decan. You have the first decan as some kind of problem or conflict, uh, some kind of dissatisfaction even potentially, or some kind of seed that is trying to be born. In the second decan, we have a, either a stabilization of that energy or a, something that is trying to bridge or bring it to manifestation. And then we have a destabilization again in the third decan or the result of that action or whatever we're seeing as the uh, letting go of something that isn't working too. So it's sort of like the, the three seasons too. It's sort of like we have a cardinal phase of the sign. We have a fixed phase of the sign and we have a, a, a mutable phase of the sign. And in the Pisces story, we have a figure that's dissatisfied is going off in search of spiritual meaning. He has found potentially something that is uh, satisfying and is struggling to bring it into being, trying to bridge. Uh, like Jupiter is the, the stabilizing, confirming, you know, cosmic bridge planet, whereas Mercury is, is kind of splitting things into categories. And then we have the third decan where we have the Ten of Cups, where we have this beautiful vision of the rainbow where... Uh, this is a Mars ruled Deccan where, you know, the picture on that card belies the sacrifice necessary for it. That's where we're willing to become the martyr for the vision that we've decided is uh, what we want to pursue. So I want you to be aware that that may be the Mars story that we're playing out now. We may have felt a dissatisfaction and we express that through our, through our martial energy. We now are trying to figure out what the vision is and having to come to terms with what is realistic and what isn't. And then eventually we may be willing to make sacrifices for that vision as Mars moves into the third decan of Pisces. And some, some of those sacrifices may be worth sacrificing for and others may be based on folly. And I would definitely give you a warning that a lot of the ideals that we may be drawing upon are from a fallen Jupiter right now. So I think that that has to be taken into uh, the equation. So really try to get clear on whether whatever you are uh, trying to draw upon your martial energy is based on something that is truly a representation of your higher self or could be due to a desire to expand your material reality, uh, which could lead to some 
definitely to some some problems. All right, not to say that material reality isn't isn't necessary, but when we're dealing with the planet Jupiter, um, that one in particular is not uh, a planet that is very happy when it is in Earth signs in particular, especially the sign of Capricorn and in its exile of Virgo. Now, I don't know about Jupiter necessarily in Taurus, but um, yeah, there may be a little bit more uh, harmony with Jupiter and Taurus since it is a domicile of a benefic, but that's a discussion for another time. So that's what I have for Wednesday the 27th. Um, again, the other thing we could see on a personal note uh, is Mars. Uh, we'll be talking about the way that we may be enacting in our conflicts. And I see Mars and Pisces being as uh, in a mutable sign, in a water sign that, that morphs to its container, and in a, in a domicile that is, talks about search for meaning. Um, this could manifest as a very indirect Mars, where we may be kind of uh, using our um, martial energy in a very, potentially it could be a passive-aggressive way. It could be also in a way of like sidestepping conflicts as well. I think about this as like judo where, or aikido, where you're using someone's energy against them to flip them on their backside. So we could be like, you know, you could be receiving a punch, but you're moving this way and like using that energy to, and just slightly bumping someone off of their course. And <laughs> with, with very little effort, you've flipped them on their back and, and completely incapacitated them. So be aware that that is part of Mars's energy right now too. You know, the slightest little um, transgression may throw something completely off balance right now. And I think that's something to be aware of. Okay, let's move forward. On Thursday, May the 28th, oops, we're doing hours here. Thursday, May 28th, uh, we are experiencing the moon still moving through Leo. And still in its crescent phase, building in light. Um, our lunar aspect of the day is the moon is going to be making a sextile to retrograde Venus at 9.30 a.m. Uh, at 17 degrees of Leo and Gemini. So there may be something that is triggering, again, more of those Venus retrograde conversations where we're trying to figure out what we love and what we desire and, and how we communicate. There's a lot of themes of how we communicate in our relationships right now. So I think that that may be a lot of the things we're reevaluating is how do we have conversations? How do we figure out what, um, what our differences are and, and how do we reconcile those? And the other thing that we're going to be experiencing on Thursday, the 28th is Mercury, the planet that's been hosting all this action and actually lending a lot of strength to this process um, being in its own domicile, is going to be moving out of, of Gemini, out of power, into the moon's domicile of Cancer. And I think that this is going to um, be difficult. I think this is going to um, lend a little bit more ambiguity 
to the situation. And I think that the, the narrative shifts a little bit. The types of things that we're going to be uh, discussing are going to take on a different flavor. And when Mercury is moving through the first decan of Cancer, we have a correlation with the two of cups in the, in the Rider-Waite tarot, where we see two figures that are exchanging cups with a, with a I don't know if this is a, a red lion with wings. Um, so this is all about union. Austin Coppock calls this decan a mother and child. Uh, the book T and the book of Toth calls this decan love. And if we are thinking about this in terms of the theme of Mundi, which is the natal chart of the world, the natal chart of the world had cancer on the ascendant. And we, we have to think about cancer uh, as being in relationship to that ascendant in that first house, if we really want to get, glean some meaning from it. And I'll, I'll move my chart back so that you can see what that might look like. Okay. So if we put cancer on the ascendant, uh, we can see that when we are born, we have planets that are appearing over the horizon, okay, and making themselves known. There is there is some thoughts in in the story of astrology and the mythology of it all that you know when we have at these horizon points, we either have things coming together in union or things separating. So at the, at the ascendant and at the ascendant of the world, we had the union of a body and spirit. And we can see this because Mercury also has its joy in the first house, not necessarily in the sign of cancer, which although that, that brings up an interesting uh, argument that maybe there is some dignity uh, because of the theme of Mundi having the, the, the joy of Mercury in the first house there. So that could be something we could explore, I guess. But Mercury is able to hold opposites and to, to hold duality. And here we can see the moment uh, that you take your first breath, Numa, where you're being, you know, where the spirit is connecting with the body. A lot of ancient traditions held that the spirit entered the body through the first breath. That that is the moment of union of the soul and the body. And that has some, some, some significations with cancer being the ascendant of the world. So we can see here that we have this union in the first decan of the, of the uh, tarot here. Now, Mother and child is an interesting thing, too, because we have uh, the, the themes of the moon are present in this domicile and in this decan and in this sign in particular. And the, the moon is the great cosmic mother. It is the, the womb that is either letting things come into. The, they, the, the ancients believed that it was like a, like a membrane that was surrounding the earth. It was the sphere that was closest to the earth that was acting as a, as a, you know, a guardian of what, what was able to be manifested on the earth from the other planetary spheres and what was leaving uh, manifestation. So in this first decan, we are pregnant with possibility. We are experiencing uh, themes of nurturing. 
uh, themes of uh, mothering. Um, so our minds may be uh, moving to, from all the possibilities that we have and thinking more about um, family, more about how we support ourselves, how we sustain ourselves, issues of sustenance, issues of growth and how we are um, nurturing one another. Now, Austin Kavik made a really interesting point in his book that motherhood is not just about nurturing. In this decade in particular, we have to think about the balance of consumption as well. Because what does a mother need to do to provide for the child? She needs to consume enough food for two people. So there is this kind of energy where we, we have this balance of consumption and then nurturance. So there could be situations in our life where we're discussing how we are either nurturing others or how we maybe feel like food for others, how we may be feeling like people are consuming us. One of the criticisms that, that you know, I've seen in just modern astrology that actually feels kind of right on studying it like this is that a Cancerian type person will take care of you, but they expect to be taken care of in return, you know? So, and as a Cancer Sun and Mercury, I would say that this is probably, uh, I, I can identify with that concept. Um, I, will, uh, I will go to war for my kin, um, but I also enjoy being nurtured and babied on some level as well. That is something that I can admit to for sure. Um, so Mercury is going to destabilize the family and, and cause us to ask questions about how we are providing that nurturance. And this could play out in the collective too. This could be like, well, how are we, how are we sustaining ourselves? How are we providing nurturing for our families out in the world? How are we getting the resources that we need during this very difficult crisis that we're experiencing? And when Mercury moves into the sign of cancer, it's automatically moving into a whole sign opposition with Jupiter and, and um, Pluto retrograde, both of those planets in the sign of Capricorn, okay? So automatically, we're moving into a, a place of conflict. And hope maybe, maybe if we do the hard work and if we realize the limitations that we're working within, maybe a, pla a place of redemption. So think about it like that too if you want to put a positive spin on it. Now, if you think about the th three decades of cancer and the story that we're telling, and I'll get to this as we move into cancer season, but we have the, the union that happens in the Two of Cups, the rejoicing and celebration of the Three of Cups, and then we have the, the refusal of the, the hand of the divine in the Four of Cups. And the story that that really tells is we are trying to come into the questions of consuming and nurturing in the Venus-ruled face, the first face. So Mercury is moving through a face that is ruled by Venus. Then we're moving into a Mercury-ruled face where we're uh, feeling, I guess Austin Coppock calls it the, the walled garden, where we're trying to protect our whatever we have, uh, whatever seed that's been planted and trying to bring it to fruition and, and bring it to full manifestation. That's another Cancerian theme is bringing things fully into being. This is one of this is why we talk about this with the moon. The moon brings things into being. Just like the new moon manifests and brings a kernel of, of divinity that it 
got at the, its conjunction with the sun, the divine impulse. It brings it to manifestation at the full moon. So the sign of cancer being hosted by the moon is all about bringing things into, into manifestation. So when the, we get to the third decade of cancer, we have a potentially an excess and we're dealing with what do we do with the excess? Are we, you know, we cannot just consume and consume and consume without um, potentially creating a sense of limitation or lack for someone else. And we have this kind of experience of uh, if we have gained luxury and excess, do we distribute it to those that are less fortunate as well? So there's eventually sometimes with the third decade of cancer, we say, this is enough. We've received enough. Now it's time to start distributing it out into the world in, in maybe in form of charity or something like that. And that is a, a moon ruled decade. So that could be the story that we see playing out is we're trying to bring something into being. And now Mercury is the one that is playing this out. And if we do, again, our, our astrological sentences, we are destabilizing the moon. We're destabilizing lunar significations. We're destabilizing and asking questions and proliferating many options for how we nurture and how we manifest and bring things to fruition. Okay, so that is what we're experiencing on Thursday, the 28th. Pretty interesting stuff. I love the theme of Mundi. I'm going to be talking about that in my talk for the Great, at the Great Lakes Astrology Conference and really f trying to flesh out the meaning of the tarot cards and associate it with the theme of Mundi, house significations. And um, that's going to be uh, July 9th through, through the 13th. So make sure you put that on your calendar. Okay. Let's move forward to Friday. We're going to talk about now Friday, May the 29th. On Friday, May 29th, the moon moves into Virgo at 7.40 a.m. And at 7.40 a.m., we are experiencing the, the crescent moon phase, and we are going to be moving to our first quarter phase. Now, the first quarter phase is a period of time where the sun and the moon come into a square relationship with one another. And that can be a point of conflict. That can be a point of severing, separating, and feeling like that we're sort of at cross purposes with something. And it's, it's a, Demetra George describes this as a heroic effort that is needed to bring something into material reality. And that we need to kind of, uh, sorry, I'm having trouble with my notes here. Okay. That, that we need some kind of heroic effort to deal with some kind of material crisis. So the moon moves into Virgo at 7.40 a.m. on Friday. It'll make a sextile to Mercury at 9.30 a.m. at one degree of Cancer. And then it will trine Uranus at 10.14 p.m. in the evening at eight degrees of Taurus. Now, our first quarter moon happens at 11.29 p.m. at nine degrees of Virgo and Gemini. Now, I think this is actually a really good time 
to begin to discuss Aldebaran. Okay, so I say that because the sun is moving very close to the fixed star of Aldebaran and starting to, to draw energy from it at nine, between nine and 10 degrees. There are some people that give fixed stars a, a little bit of a bigger orb. Generally, authors talk about within a degree or so. Um, but I think that this, if I'm trying to parse this out, um, there may be some questions of integrity that come up at the first quarter moon. You may have an idea that you want to manifest in the, the Gemini area of your chart. And we are trying to figure out the skills, Virgo, that are necessary, the practicality of our airy ideal. Now, one of the things that we think about with air signs is we have um, an attachment to idealism in the air signs, right? We're exploring what could be rather than what is. And when the moon is moving through Virgo, that's when Mercury tends to say, okay, you've got this great idea. How are you going to, to make it a physical form? How are you gonna make it a reality? How are you going to uh, you know, come to terms with what is necessary to materially manifest that amorphous, ambiguous idea that you may have you know, concocted in the sign of Gemini, right? So what does Virgo season, what is Virgo season all about? Well, it is the transition between the summer and the fall. And the Gemini season is transition between spring and summer. So what we see with Gemini is we've got this proliferation that's happening and we're having to figure out and choose what comes to manifestation? What, what is going to be um, worthy of that Cancerian nurturing? What dream are we going to mother? When we get to the Virgo part of the year, we've, we've come to some kind of uh, expression. The sun is at its most powerful during the Cancer and Leo season. And then we start a decline. And what we do during Virgo season, generally, if we think about it in, a, in an agricultural metaphor, is we're harvesting what we've brought to manifestation. And what we're doing is eliminating the parts that are decaying and preserving the parts that we want to help us to sustain us through the winter. And that's really interesting. That brings up a really, that was a light bulb moment, because the third decan of Virgo in Austin Coppock's book talks a lot about preservation against the ravages of time. Sometimes it's about accelerating the ravages of time, but a lot of times it's about preserving things. And I have, uh, I have Saturn and Mars in the third decan of Virgo. And isn't it neat that we're thinking about not just what we have to eliminate, but what we're going to keep for, uh, for the ages, right? Or to sustain us through the period where we may not have a period of growth anymore. So when that moon is, is squaring the sun, it's asking us to eliminate the parts of our dream that can't possibly be manifested responsibly. Um, and there's definitely an anxiety involved in the sign of Virgo and the time of Virgo, because we 
have an awareness of the impending winter. And there is a, a fr almost a frantic preparation that is happening. So this may be a point in time where we're really cutting away the uh, impracticalities of our new moon vision that, that started manifesting at Gemini, in the Gemini moon cycle and really starting to figure out what is possible. And then it will come to manifestation when the moon is opposing the sun in the sign of Sagittarius, which I believe is going to be an eclipse, a full moon eclipse around June 5th. So it's, it has extra importance. Whatever we're, we're trying to manifest this time has some pretty big um, chapter marking narrative potential um, where eclipses are like supercharged moon cycles where we, they talk about the beginning and the endings of things. And with a lunar eclipse, this could be a really a powerful ending. And with it being in the sign of, of Jupiter and the sign of Sagittarius, it's maybe a really powerful time of letting go of an old belief system that isn't serving us anymore, an old narrative that, that isn't moving us forward with, a, with its association with the South Node. Super powerful when it's uh, an eclipse too. Okay, so let's talk about Aldebaran. First of all, this, this last quarter moon, sorry, this last quarter moon here, it's also in a T-square with that Mars that we talked about, okay? So that's going to add, add tension. You know, our, our, very, we may be very hasty uh, about our ideals, um, and we may have some conflicts over our ideals, and there may be some rebalancing and some redemption that needs to come, some Saturn energy that needs to come into the mix to figure out what actually is possible. Okay, so let's move to Saturday and talk about Aldebaran with the knowledge that that is part of our story for the last quarter moon, which is going to play out for the next 45 degrees of that, of, that sec, of that moon cycle. Okay, so here I am on Saturday, May 30th. That happens to be my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to make sure I remember to, to send her something nice. And uh, yeah, we'll be experiencing that first quarter moon and playing out that those questions of what is possible and what isn't, what needs to stay and what needs to go. Uh, we will see the opposition perfect to Mars at 3.30 a.m. at 11 degrees of Virgo and Pisces. We will then have a square from uh, the moon to retrograde Venus at 16 degrees at 11.18 a.m. Okay, so this is part of our, our first quarter moon story is a square to that retrograde Venus where we're going to be really trying to bring something into harmony and reevaluating relationships too. And then we have an opposition with Neptune at seven, uh, about 7.15, 7.30 p.m. I don't know, about 20 degrees of Virgo and Pisces. We'll see an opposition uh, at that same degree that we had the square between Mercury and, and Neptune uh, earlier last week. Okay. Now, the sun will be moving into the second decan of Gemini at 8 p.m. And Austin Coppett calls this decan the hermaphrodite. Uh, the Rider-Waite Tarot, Golden Dawn folks call it despair. And it's associated with the Nine of Swords, where you see a figure lying awake in bed, kind of the nightmare card, 
having a real difficult time and uh, talking about uh, this particular um, Deccan as Mars ruled. So there could be a difficulty in reconciling opposites. Remember, we had a story where we had a proliferation of opposites. We had a, an awareness of all the things that we were trying to, you know, all the different possibilities. In the second decade, we're having a lot of anxiety over how are we going to balance out all this proliferation of options. And in the third decade of Gemini, we see the Ten of Swords where the figure is lying on the ground. And basically, we've had to choose. We've had to, to dis destroy one of the options so that one of the other options could live. And that is, is uh, manifested in the story of, of Cain and Abel in the Bible and also of Castor and Pollux in Greek mythology. One of the twins, uh, I believe Pollux had to die so Castor could live, or, or, uh, or one of the twins died and one of the twins gave up part of their immortality so that the other could live again. So you may not be letting go of that uh, option permanently, but you may need to temporarily let go of an option so that you can nurture something to fruition. Because if you're trying to nurture too many things, uh, it's very, very difficult to give it the proper attention. So that, that's the background that we're seeing this Aldebaran thing happening. So let's, if we go forward and show you where the sun is here. This is happening around 8 o'clock. It moves to 10 degrees. Okay. So this is where we're going to see a conjunction with the fixed star Aldebaran. Okay. Conjoint. I wish there were symbols for these. Maybe there is, and I just don't know them yet. And two different ways of thinking of fixed stars, Aldebaran, one of which is the Paran's relationship that we talked about uh, earlier in the show, um, which we will try to flesh out with a, hopefully with a guest speaker. The other is a conjunction, a zodiacal conjunction, with the planet on the ecliptic, which we see here. Now, I'm not exactly sure the differences. Uh, I, I will say the Paran's relationship is probably potentially more about a timing type of uh, experience in the natal chart, like which phase of life, according to Bernadette Brady, it's going to play out in. Um, but we have seen that when a planet is conjoining on the ecliptic, that that is drawing power also. So what is Aldebaran all about? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read another excerpt from this beautiful book uh, and use her words because I think that she is very articulate about it. But first, I wanted to say that Aldebaran is one of the four Persian royal stars that were associated with the cardinal points, um, the, and the cardinal points being the, the equinoxes and the solstices. And I believe if I'm relaying this story correctly, that these particular stars were associated with the fixed signs in the zodiac. Back when astrology was formulating or, or in ancient times, uh, before the zodiac processed or switched off of its axis, which is a an astrological observation phenomenon based on the wobble of the earth. It's a little bit complicated to explain, but the gist of it is that the, 
the appearance of the constellations has moved in relationship to the ecliptic. This is why we have a tropical-based uh, zodiac in Western astrology, because we're basing the beginning of Aries uh, at the, the, um, the, oh my God, come on brain. <laughs> we're basing it at the spring equinox over here. Okay, the equal, the equal point of day and light. And before the procession happened and the, those two things were, got split up, these uh, points were, these stars were rising at uh, fixed, in fixed signs. So Aldebaran was the eye of the bull. So we have the fixed sign of, of Taurus being associated with spring. Right, and we and and please forgive me if I've if I've totally garbled uh, some of the facts around this. Um, again, it's a developing thing that I'm learning about. Um, but my very introductory understanding is that they were associated with the kind of the the cross of the seasons, and Aldebaran being the I believe the eye of the bull. And if you flesh this out, you have Regulus being the heart of the lion. Um, Antares is the uh, the heart of the scorpion, and then Fomalhaut, interestingly enough, is the mouth of the fish. But the mouth of the fish that the water pourer Aquarius was pouring water into. So I think that there, it, even though it is a fish, it is it, it, we could extrapolate that out to have meaning with the sign of Aquarius. So uh, each of these was a royal star that according to Bernadette Brady, was uh, required a trial. And they gave fortune, uh, but you had to pass a certain test, okay? And she says uh, that in Taurus, Aldebaran in Taurus was linked with integrity and honesty, and Tares in Scorpio was linked with obsession, intensity, and probing. Fomahalt was associated with uh, ideals and dreams, and Regulus linked with success without revenge. Okay, so she says all four of these stars are quite unique. Each one of them brings their own unique type of less of life journey and lessons. Each one gives power and promises success, but only if you can deal with the particular hurdles that will be placed in front of you. Each star represents a specific type of human dilemma or weakness. The presence of any of these four stars in the chart will add a considerable amount of mythology. So let's take a look at what she says. Okay, so here is Aldebaran, the concept. This is page 233 of Brady's Book of Fixed Stars. She says, Aldebaran is one of the great stars in the sky, one of the royal stars of Persia, the watcher in the east, the great cornerstone marking the spring equinox. In this capacity, Aldebaran was the god Mithras, or Ohura Mazda, the slayer of the cosmic bull. Mithras was a great military god who gave victories to his followers, but only if they followed the strictest procedure in his worship. So just in a, a side note, and this is, she's referencing this book, Hamlet's Mill, throughout the book, where they talk about the different ages of astrology being based on the appearance of certain stars uh, falling into the ecliptical line or falling below it. And they consider that like a great whirlpool. And it, according to, to this book, the theory of myth in this book, 
the pole star was the center that everything was was revolving around and there was this great unity involved with that and that as procession took place that unity started to become separated and one of the things that they said that is the, like the myth of the bible like the fall from grace the fall uh from the garden of eden is based on procession and seeing the zodiac starting to to wobble and move and not be in complete alignment with where the constellations once were super interesting concept that is definitely worth some some research and she extrapolates that out and i don't know if she does that here in this in this particular uh paragraph but she talks about uh the age of um taurus where aldebaran is is rising in the spring equinox shifting by procession to the age of aries and having in the age of taurus that people worshiped uh bulls as a deity so all these fixed stars were deities and eventually the ram or the lamb be started to become worshiped in the time of aries and you could see this in a biblical reference of you know basically moses is saying you know don't worship the golden calf uh lay down with the lamb <laughs> it's very literal it's very interesting and and then eventually we have a shift i believe towards uh the piscean piscean age or or whatnot with procession um in jesus and being the announce annunciation of that age um and the fish being the symbol of that with fomahal right and eventually processing if we were to get into what we can could consider an aquarian age i think it's very interesting because there's no uh, you know aquarius is associated with humanity so maybe as we are moving away from this piscean age if you want to even consider that a concept maybe we're moving towards this like uh humanity is its own god and you could see that reflected with aquarius sun Nietzsche saying God is dead, <laughs> so, like, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I, I think that that's a a very interesting concept to explore. So back to Bernadette Brady. Okay, she says that Ahura Mazda, the slayer of the cosmic bull, Mithras was the great military god who gave victories to his followers, but only if they followed the strictest procedure in his worship. This procedure is also reflected in the writings and worship of the god prophet Zarathustra of Persia, of Iranian origin, who, who is said to have learned wisdom from Ahura Mazda. His name means star worshiper, and his teachings were meant to restore the belief in the sanctity of the material world, and ultimately it is said to restore the earth to its original state of perfection. Whether Aldebaran is connected with Mithras or Zarathustra, or possibly even both, we uh we are able to derive a more three-dimensional meaning for aldebaran from these ancient beliefs and customs which emphasize success linked to integrity of morals and objectives mithras was a warrior king who also bore the title of lord of contracts he considered all exchanges as sacred and therefore oversaw the business of his followers insisting on their honesty and purity failing which the father was follower was condemned to an ordeal of fire this was usually expressed by having the suspected person run through a tunnel of fire where their survival meant their innocence <laughs> well that sounds like trying to burn a witch at a stake like oh if they don't float let's throw them in a river and if they don't float they must not be pure uh, anyway the four royal stars of persia are all very powerful stars 
and each one of one offers the possibility of glory, success, or happiness, but only if a particular nemesis, remember we talked about Saturn and nemesis, can be overcome. In the case of Aldebaran, this challenge is one of integrity and honor. Greatness can be achieved by the individual, but the indi greatness can be achieved, but the individual will be challenged on issues of integrity and purity of the and the purity of their thoughts and dealings. If they fail this test, they will lose everything. Okay, so I think that brings a lot of meaning here. Uh, it says Aldebaran in the natal chart. The presence of Aldebaran in the chart indicates that you will have to face moral dilemmas that will challenge your integrity. Success will be presented to you. However, along the journey, you will be tempted to compromise your position and to go against your own integrity. Beware that when this star is involved, any compromise of your integrity with negative results all, all that is gained could be lost very rapidly. Okay, so, and then she lists examples of people. Uh, so, interestingly enough, she talks about great military leaders like Machiavelli, who, you know, kept pursuing something beyond, uh, oh, it says, you know, he refused to confess, um, yeah, I'm not going to try to paraphrase all that. Basically, the gist of it is that what we may be experiencing through this first quarter phase is a test of our integrities. Our, is the vision that you're trying to manifest, is the options that you're presented with, which one of them are you going to choose that is in alignment with your higher purpose, your higher soul, and with your morals? Now, your morals may be shifting because we're seeing Jupiter going through a retrograde as well, and we may be re-examining what we really believe and what we really think is, quote-unquote, right. And I'm not here to tell you what is right or wrong, although I, I have been guilty of, of devolving into that. But I think that it is, this is an important time to examine your belief systems and really try to think about whether your actions, Mars, are in alignment with your higher self and the good of the collective rather than your individual material desires. I think if you let that be your guide, uh, then it will be easier for you to find whatever compromises that you need to make to take action out into the world. And Aldebaran is here to tell you that uh, great success is promised if you are able to follow um, your, your personal integrity, if you're able to uh, stay in contact with that higher self rather than falling prey to either a momentary desire, to impatience, to potentially something that could be more self-centered self or self-sustaining. Um, and that was, remember, that was the, what we were trying to deal with with Mars on Fomahal too, was is your vision in service of the collective or is it in service of just yourself and self-aggrandizement or, or your own personal freedom versus the collective? And Mars is still in, in that zone of the zodiac and, and really still asking us some of those questions. So that's what I've got for Aldebaran, the watcher of the East. I think the royal stars are great ones to start with when you're talking about fixed stars and starting to learn them because they are very, very powerful. I'm very much looking forward to learning more about this and 
maybe even having some some cool guest astrologers on to explain these things in greater depth that have had longer experience studying them and maybe just a different perspective. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, yeah, so let's move forward. We got one more day here and we'll just wrap wrap it up and see where we're at. So Sunday, on Sunday, May 31st, the moon is moving through Virgo in the first quarter phase. We're still in that first quarter phase. It is going to be moving into the sign of Libra at about 10.30 a.m. Um, there will be a couple aspects before it leaves Virgo. It's going to be trining retrograde Pluto uh, at around, uh, let's see, very early in the morning, around 2 a.m. And then it's going to be trining retrograde Jupiter at about 5 a.m at 24 and 26 degrees, respectively. So maybe we'll have some very early morning realizations about uh, our belief system and, and maybe composting some of the old ones. This is a trine, so this is something where we may be uh, able to come to terms with something that's no longer serving us and able to make a new start and start to do that fermenting process that Jupiter and Pluto are requiring of, of us of some of our old material belief structures. And this could relate to our power structures in society and how we relate to that as well. Uh, when the moon moves into Libra, it will make first make a trine at about 1.19 p.m. to retrograde Saturn at one degree, and then make a square to Mercury in Cancer at 5.15 p.m. So we may come face to face with some of the limitations that we are experiencing. We may be trying to find a compromise with those limitations, with a trine. And then we may be also having a, a, some difficult conversations about um, how we're going to find sustenance and nurturing and how we may provide that for others when the moon moves through Libra and squares uh, Mercury in Cancer. So try to use all your diplomatic skills Remember, when the moon's moving through a sign, that, that gives us some insight into what, how we can bring th things about. And when it's moving through Virgo, we have to use our really discerning, practical eye and, and figure out what stays and what goes and be very, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily ruthless, but very discriminating about what we, what we choose to pursue and what is shown to be maybe uh, something that is in a state of decay. Whereas when the moon's moving through Libra, that's where we're being asked to potentially trying to use the, the skills of Venus to bring a consensus, to bring a harmonization, maybe to meet someone else halfway. Uh, we may be experiencing some difficulty with this Libra moon because of Venus's uh, difficult condition right now being retrograde and in the heart of the sun. Uh, so, well, not in the heart, but in under the beams right now. So in a very weak position. So we may have some disagreements. Those, those conversations may be a little bit more challenging than they normally would be because of Venus's compromised position. Um, Mercury is going to be also, uh, you know, in a position that... Now, here, here's where there is an interesting thing, though. Um, Mercury is, being, is having contact with its host, the moon. So that is a form of reception. So that is... That's something that is somewhat positive. Um, but anyway, it's not some big grand realization. 
So just watch out on Sunday that you may be feeling the weight of trying to uh, let go of a belief system. You may be coming face to face with some of the continued need for boundaries and limitations in your life. And then you may be having a, what is hopefully a fruitful conversation that may start out as a conflict, but may lead to some kind of um, rebalancing as you move forward. All right. So that's what I've got for Sunday and I think for the week. So this is a busy week and we, I think we got some really good, uh, got some really good uh, explorations there. Looking ahead to the beginning of June, some very active week in the beginning of June, from June 1st to June 7th. On Tuesday the 2nd, Mars is going to square retrograde Venus at 14 degrees. So maybe some, some real conflicts between our, you know, our belief systems and how we're creating uh, harmony. Uh, on Wednesday the 3rd, that's when we have our Venus going retrograde Kazemi. It's inferior conjunction with the sun at 13 degrees. So a whole new Venus cycle. That should be interesting. Pay attention to, to the themes that come up in that at that time. On Friday the 5th, uh, we have our full moon lunar eclipse at 15 degrees of Gemini and Sagittarius. And uh, Mercury on that day will be sextiling Uranus at eight degrees of Cancer and Taurus. And then finally, at the end of the week, the sun will be making a square at 16 degrees of Gemini to 16 degrees of Pisces and squaring Mars. So big stuff going on. So as we move forward, um, so that's what I've got for this week. Hopefully you're all doing okay out there. Uh, again, if you like what I do here, there are certain ways that you can show your support. The first of which is to smash that like button and share it and subscribe if you aren't already. Another thing is that there is a few links if you want to make a donation to the work that I'm doing here. I'm starting to transition into full-time astrology and I've been doing these weekly forecasts basically for free. So if you want to keep me, keep me afloat, uh, that is a great way to do that by donating. Um, I've resisted you know, doing an official thing like a Patreon, but that may be coming in the future. Um, I do want to keep these, these weekly forecasts free and available to the most amount of people. And your generous support will be instrumental in whether I'm able to do that or not moving forward. Um, also, if you want to reach out and schedule a reading, that is uh, a, a great way to, to support the work that I do. Um, email me at Spencer Michelle Astrology, and that can be something that can really be beneficial for, for, for me and for you. And also, I've been, I said this last week, but I've been, uh, I just completed my first year horary course with uh, Achuta Bhavadas of Nightly Astrology, and I'm taking, um, I'm taking donation-based horary questions. So if you want to send me a horary question uh, and that'll use astrology to get clear on something, um, it, it should be more of a clear question rather than a should question. It's that has more of a tangible outcome. Uh, that'll help me get some practice. And if you want to make a donation for that, that's fine. But I'm just trying to get as much practice as I can doing that. So you can send that to my email as well. So that's what I've got for this week. Uh, keep your eyes out for some, some cool appearances that I'm going to be doing uh, with various different astrologers in the future here. I've been uh, making some plans to do some interviews on some different platforms and bringing in special guests to my platform as well, spreading the love. So uh, hopefully you're doing well out there. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. Peace.